Hi, I'm Derek Jensen. This is Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network. My guest today is Bob Watson. He grew up in a small town in northeastern Iowa, Strawberry Point. He worked on farms as a kid growing up, including in one of the first chicken confinements in northeast Iowa when he was 12 or 13 years old. The last 35 years, he was employed in the wastewater industry in Iowa and has been an environmental activist mostly concerned with the industrial row crop feedlot and confinement method modern model of agriculture. Bob co-authored the book, Hog Confinements in Human Health, The Intersection of Science, Morals, and Law. So first off, thank you for your work in the world. And second, thank you for being in the program. My pleasure. So can you, oh, feel free, by the way, I'm going to ask you about hog confinement. If you want to talk about larger issues in agriculture, like industrial row crops, et cetera, feel free to go there. But in any case, um, what can you, for people who don't know, can you say what a hog confinement uh, factory basically is like, and what, and then after that, what's wrong with them? Okay, well, for ten thousand years, um, we've been doing agriculture, but about uh, probably sixty years ago or so, we started using uh, buildings, confinement buildings. Um, to raise animals. Normally, they were raised outside. They might have lived in a barn in the wintertime, but their waste was shoveled out, um, pitchforked out, which I did a lot, and there's a nice ammonia cloud when you're doing that in the winter. Um, but what happened was um, in the 50s and 60s, people started using confinement, so giant buildings that were completely closed um, and had to be vented um, because they were completely closed, because the animals, whatever they were, um, chickens, pigs, nowadays dairy and beef cattle even, um, are inside and they their waste is inside with them. And so they have to be um, blown or vented out correctly. Um, one of the things that before the original 10,000 years when animals um, uh, took a dump outside, um, their waste was just broken down like normal through air, wind, water, insects, uh, sunlight, and it would break down into its constituent parts, and those parts would be taken up in in the nutrient cycle. And so it was just a natural phenomenon that everybody understands if they've watched shows with Buffalo and the prairies and how they worked together to make all of the deep rich soil that especially the Midwest uh, and the Great Plains had, um, you know, three or 400 years ago. That took probably 14, I don't remember how many years ago the ice left here, although the ice wasn't here in Northeast Iowa, and that presents uh, problems also for um, modern agriculture. Um, so anyway, um, we started using buildings, and in those buildings, I, I mostly talk about hog confinements, um, even though I did work in that um, early chicken confinement 
de-beaking because animals don't do well uh, inside of places. I mean, that's not much different than people don't do well in prisons. And in fact, here at Luther College in Decorah, there was uh, there were two professors that looked at hog confinements and prisons um, in the larger view of what they did to both animals and people. Um, so anyway, um, what happened is that the natural cycle was interrupted by not having animals, in this case, uh, pigs that I write about, um, outside, inside, the most of the confinements have a pit uh, down below that has a slatted floor, a steel slatted floor, and the waste, the urine, and the feces both just drop down into the pit below, and over time, that is an anaerobic digestion process, which means that, that it basically cooks, and as it cooks, it cooks up all kinds of uh, of problems, hydrogen sulfide, ammonia, um, articulates, uh, antibiotic resistant organisms, because also living inside of these confinements, that uh, these animals have to have antibiotics because the diseases are, are so bad. It's, it's basically a sewer environment and um, to survive in a sewer environment, there. They, they need to add antibiotics to the feed. They also use antibiotics in the feed for growth as well as growth hormones. So that, that has a lot of problems too. But anyway, what we've done is we basically imprisoned animals. Um, they never go outside. They never see anything. They never do anything natural. Uh, pigs basically bite off other pigs' tails. Um, they're always lots of noise, uh, screaming. You can imagine the first six months of your life um, being in a metal building um, with lights on all the time. So what the waste does is it, it collects and it cooks up the things that I was talking about. And those gases and particulates and antibiotic resistant organisms are need to be blown out of the uh, confinements and so that the pigs inside will stay alive. Um, when they've had swine flu lately in Iowa, they basically just turn off the vents and it gets so hot inside and there's so many poison gases that the pigs die. So that's one of the ways that they euthanized um, the pigs. And so you can imagine that all of those gases, 24-7, 365, have to be blown out of the confinements. And that's where the human health comes in, because people living in proximity to these things have to deal with all of, the, all of those gases, particulates, antibiotic-resistant organisms, and other volatile organic compounds, which are toxic to human health. So that's where the title of the, of the book came from, Hog Confinements in Human Health, the Intersection of Science, Morals, and Law. The science is Wait, in the book. Before, uh, before we, before we sorry, go on, go ahead. no, it's great. Before yeah. we go on, um, can you give an idea of the scale? Is this, is this a small 
Is this a small barn with 10 pigs in it? Is this a medium-sized oh. barn with 100? Yeah. Is it, how, how big are we talking? Um, nowadays, there are as many as 4,800 hogs in a confinement. And the hog waste is five times, um, four to five times more concentrated than human waste. And so that means that a, a hog confinement, they started out at, at smaller. They were 1,200 for a while. That keeps them under um, uh, regulations. So they were 1,200, and then they were 2,400. And we had um, the director of the uh, Iowa DNR come up for a meeting one time. We were actually suing uh, Shalom Rabushkin for basically mountaintop mining around here, which are hills, not mountains, um, because he was putting up uh, two 50,000 head chicken confinements on hills that he'd level. So we were suing uh, Shalom uh, for mountaintop mining and um, for the degradation of the groundwater and tributaries into the rivers around here because of it. Um, so anyway, we had the uh, director Bonk up here and we were arguing about confinements and I kept saying that he would say there's 5,000 confinements in Iowa and I said, no, there's 10,000 confinements. And he would say, no, there's 5,000, and I'd say 10. And then he said, if you say that once more, I'm leaving. And so I had to quit doing that. But then um, a couple of months later, they did a LIDAR survey of Iowa and found 5,000 more CAFOs because they were called SAFOs and not CAFOs. And the DNR didn't keep track of them because they had less than 1,000 pigs in them. So anyway, um, this, these are rather huge buildings, and nowadays they're 4,800, and there may even be more. And in both China and Taiwan, they have skyscrapers that each floor is a confinement. So we're not as bad as that, but as I said, the, the, the waste in these confinements is completely untreated. Um, it's never treated, and it's put out on the... Uh, on the land and it's called manure, but it's actually um, toxic waste. Um, uh, so these are, these are pretty large buildings. And nowadays with 23 million hogs at any one time in Iowa, that is like having over a hundred million people that live here in Iowa. And we have 3 million people that live here. But the waste that comes from these hog confinements in Iowa, just hog confinements, not chicken, beef, or dairy, or the feedlots that we have also. It is, so we have that much waste um, that goes on. In fact, um, you may be familiar with the name of Chris Jones. Um, he was uh, at the University of Iowa. I first met him when he was at the Des Moines Waterworks. And then he went with the, as the chief scientist there, then he went to the Soybean Association, and then he ended up at the University of Iowa. He was in charge of the 80 or so water monitors in our streams and rivers in Iowa. And he wrote a blog for the last three or so years that so upset um, the uh, politicians in Iowa 
that they threatened, basically they threatened funding for um, uh, the University of Iowa if Chris's blog kept showing up on the on the university's website. So Chris retired. Um, he figured that he didn't want to cause trouble. He was trying to help fix things. And he wrote a book. He put together his blogs over the years, and he wrote a book called The Swine Republic. And he basically took the uh, Iowa flag, and I think it was an eagle that was the head, and he replaced it with a pig. Um, that's a very good book as far as understanding what um, industrial agriculture as a whole does to um, uh, Iowa's water and soil. Um, when when Chris was at the Des Moines Waterworks, there's a study in my book um, that has um, measuring ammonia in the wintertime. And Chris is the person when he was at the, the Des Moines Waterworks who um, put together that study. And I was part of it, measuring uh, the ammonia and snow in Iowa. And uh, that's that it has to be from hog confinements because they're not spreading uh, anhydrous ammonia as a fertilizer in the winter. So anyway, Chris was the chief scientist at the Des Moines Waterworks, and they have the largest nitrate remover in the world for their water. It's a half a million people that live in the Des Moines metro area, and they have to use that machine all the time because there's so much nitrogen uh, coming off the farm fields um, in Iowa. So where were we? So I have I have another another I have another no that was the the question was how many how many hogs are in a in a in a building and my next question mm -hmm. is um you said it's more concentrated than human waste but can you give us an idea of numbers in terms of how much like how much does a pig poop in a day just general volume oh. or how yeah, much they okay. pee also well, yeah I'll do it this way. Um, pigs are put in confinements when just after they're born. They're probably three weeks. And six so months ripped, later. Ripped, they, so I just want to add, I mean, they're ripped away from their mother as well. Yeah, right. And that's the whole Prop 12 thing um, between Iowa and California. Uh, Prop 12 in California said that they won't um, accept pork in the state if it's been raised in confinements where the sows can't even turn around or lay down basically. And so, you know, th that went all the way to the Supreme Court because Iowa sued um, California for passing Prop 12. But the Supreme Court said, no, you, you, you can't tell the people of California if they don't want to eat meat that they think is raised in a not a good uh, way, then they don't have to. Um, right now, Iowa is trying to get Congress to um, pass a law that outlaws Prop 12 kind of stuff. So, um, yes, so the, the pigs are put in confinements when they're about three weeks old, and they're, they're, they're taken to packing plants then when they're six months old. In that six months, those pigs end up weighing 250 pounds. If you can imagine your baby and how much babies poop 
and that baby at six months would actually weigh 260 pounds, that's a lot of crap. And so the tanks below are completely filled, and that's good because they have problems with foaming, which is also in the book, um, because as the, uh, as the, as the pit fills, fills up below the, the confinement, in the basement of the confinement, um, the more it fills up, the more anaerobic digestion takes place, the more gases and stuff that are, that are produced because it's cooking without oxygen. It just cooks. And um, um, the, it starts foaming. And the foam will come up right up through the slats. And in, in a lot of these cases, when it gets that bad, um, the pigs will snap at or eat or, you know, um, the foam and the foam bubbles are filled with hydrogen sulfide and the pigs die. Um, hydrogen sulfide can kill you within, uh, you know, just a few seconds. So um, the, there's a lot of crap there in, in, the, in the basement of these things. So they make them so that every six months when they pack off the, uh, the pigs to the packing plant, um, that they dump this stuff um, out on the fields. They couldn't hold anymore. So it's basically just a giant outhouse, um, you know, with pigs living in the top. And um, so I, I have some experience with uh, going into confined spaces with um, rotting materials and um, uh, I mean, and it's a very limited experience. And, and I mean, I will, one of the things that when I, when there's, when I start smelling ammonia, I mean, I've, I've walked into a confined space with rotting materials where I can't really keep my eyes open because the ammonia stings my eyes. And I mean, is this, is this what to just, can you give us a little bit more before we go on to the human health effects and to the, and to the, sure. the, sure. the spreading them on fields, the water effects, everything else. Um, I mean, I've never been in, in a CAFO. I've certainly been around farms and I got to tell you, I love the smell of poop on a real farm, you know, just the, yeah. the horse poop, yeah. cow poop. I, I love all that. But, uh, when I've been in these confined spaces where it gets to the ammonia level, it's pretty wretched. So when you're in a CAFO, does it smell as bad as one would think? Yes, it does. Um, there's a, a late friend of mine, Bob Anderson. Um, he reintroduced peregrine falcons to the Mississippi um, bluffs over a period of about 30 years. Bob died a few years ago, but he, were, he was very good friends with me. And we met at the uh, county sanitarian's office here in Decorah, Winnishie County. Um, we were both looking at CAFO manure management plans, and that's how Bob and I met. He actually had to move um, because a capo was put up right next to him, which was pretty bad for him because they had a lot of raptors on his on his acreage, and he would do a lot of his research there. But the capo was probably, you know, they they put a 1,200 foot limit or something. They said, well, nothing will happen outside of 1,200 foot. And um, luckily for Bob, he sued and 
and he was able to be the the confinement owner had to buy him out. He didn't want to move because it was perfect for his research and his peregrine falcons and the other raptors that he had. But it was it was so horrible that he couldn't even be inside of his house. Um, you can drive up to um, you can you can smell these things. Uh, quite a long ways away. I mean, um, it's, it's actually pretty bad. The, the point, confined yeah. space. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go. <laughs> well, the, the confined spaces inside, like I said, they, the blowers have to blow 24, seven, 365. Otherwise those pigs inside or the other animals would be dead in 20 minutes or so. That's how bad it is inside outside. Um, when I was doing, uh, my wastewater work, um, one of the things I did was covered lagoons and, um, even up about uh, a mile and a half or two miles away, you'd get chicken feathers and ammonia so bad that your eyes would start watering inside your car. So this is not, you know, there's not, when I was a kid growing up, there were 111 kids in my graduating class. There are, there, a few years ago, there were 32 because all the farms are basically gone. And if you can get out of rural Iowa because of all the confinements and feedlots, you do. It's not a good place to be um, for the most part. If you've got, you know, if you're in a place that has a lot of confinements, you want to leave. In fact, I even know people who own confinements that had to leave the neighborhood um, because they couldn't stand it anymore. So the, the studies that I use um, the, to talk about the ammonia and, and what happens, um, the one study, Sigurdsson Klein, they studied uh, two schools. Uh, one was 10 miles away from a confinement and one was a half a mile away from a confinement. And the, even the school that was 10 miles away had almost double the state rate of asthma for their students. And the one that had the, was a half a mile away from confinements, um, actually had four times the asthma rate of their students than the state rate of Iowa. So it's, it's, it's really pretty bad, um, when you live in places. The, the places that, are still okay, kind of, are the places like I live where it's too hilly uh, and you can't spread the manure because of the slope of land. It would just all run into the streams and everything. Or places that are fairly populated, um, and that's okay. But uh, an awful lot of Iowa is just horrendous to even be in anymore. They have the ragbri where they have like, I don't know, 20,000 bikers nowadays that take a week and go from the Missouri River in the west to the Mississippi River in the east of Iowa. And it was started by a couple of reporters from the Des Moines Register um, probably 50 years ago, I think it was now. Um, and nowadays, depending on which way the route goes, um, it's just a stench all the way across the state. So it's, so, it's, go ahead. Go ahead. So it, it, no. it, 
I want okay, I, I want to get to the dumping of the manure onto the to the ground, but I there's another question I want to go first, which is um so they vent when they vent stuff outside, is it filtered or they just vent it right into the, they just blow it right into the air? Blow it right into the air. There is no there is no venting going on. In fact, um I mean filtering. when I sent you yeah, there's nothing. It's just blown straight out. So, um, you know, it's it's even so bad that um, um, one of the experts in the book is William Schlesinger, and he looked at nitric acid rain, which took over for sulfuric acid rain, um, Silent Spring. And the nitric acid rain is basically from ammonia from the Midwest, and it's doing the same thing to the east of the U.S. as sulfuric acid rain did back when it was mostly coal and industrial. Now it's agriculture and confinements. And, um, there, I mean, there's probably other stuff, but um, the, he was one of the experts that we had in our book that talked about the nitric acid rain. So can you talk again, I want to get to spreading manure on well, spreading so-called manure on fields, but can you talk a bit more about the insofar as they're separable, can you talk a bit more about the effects of the the stuff that is directly vented? Yeah. I can I can go through this with you. Um, chapter one of the book is is basically um, the PowerPoint that uh, that we give um, when we do that. Uh, so the summary of toxicology for hydrogen sulfide: in high concentrations, you get respiratory paralysis, may cause coma after a single breath, and may be rapidly fatal. You get convulsions. Acute conjunctivitis with pain, lacrimation, and photophobia. Some of these things, I have no idea what they are. Pulmonary edema, rhinitis, pharyngitis, bronchitis, and pneumonitis, rapid olfactory fatigue. In low concentrations, it irritates the eyes and respiratory tract, headache, fatigue, irritability, insomnia and gastrointestinal disturbances and dizziness. Okay, so that's hydrogen sulfide. Ammonia. Ammonia vapor is a severe irritant of the eyes, especially the cornea, cornea, the respiratory tract, and skin. Bronchospasm, chest pain, and pulmonary edema, which may be fatal. Bronchitis and pneumonia. Asthma, which has four different um, um, levels to it. And uh, so in the book, it says, ironically, a 1969 study to set human limits for ammonia was done on pigs because we're so much the same. Um, then you get into asthma, and then I talked about that, except for, I talked about the two, um, 10 miles and a half a mile. But if you're a kid in Iowa that's unlucky enough to live on a farm with a confinement that adds antibiotics to feed, and they all do, there is a 55.8% chance you will experience asthma health outcomes, nine times the state rate. So let's see. Um, and, and like you said, this has – sorry, go ahead. 
there was a study that was done on veterans that actually may have even included me unwittingly. Uh, the VA hospital in Iowa City, which is a couple hours south of here, where I was an outpatient outpatient for 25 years, was having a lot of problems with MRSA. And you know about MRSA, right? It's right. antibiotic-resistant organism. And so they were swabbing all the veterans that came in. And then Tara Smith, who's a leading researcher, um, not, was at Iowa, now at Kent State, did a study. She overlapped their geophysical um, places where the veterans were and whether or not the veterans were colonized with MRSA. And it turns out that veterans that live within one mile of a hog confinement are three times, almost three times more likely to be colonized with MRSA than those veterans who live outside of that one mile limit. And um, so there are many different problems with many different things that just get blown out of the, uh, the hog confinements. That's why the subtitle for the book is the Handbook for Regulating Hog Confinements, because we, we lost two lawsuits, but not on the merits. And so we wrote this book um, to let the public know both why you can't regulate them, why you can't control this, why you can't protect people, and just telling them that here's a way that you can regulate it so that the humans um, in proximity and even the larger environment aren't so affected by this, by confinement, the modern industrial confinement agriculture. I want to just make an editorial comment that is or a, a political comment that is antibiotics are kind of miraculous and we all you know anytime they talk to humans and say oh gosh we don't want to overuse these antibiotics so you know make sure that you only get them when you really need them and it seems to me that if you have a, a some sort of miracle drug like antibiotics that you would not intentionally create systems that require the use of antibiotics on a massive scale so that you can keep chickens and hogs in in deplorable conditions and as a side effect create super bugs that are resistant to it that just seems like one of the of all the stupid things that i've ever heard that are done in pursuit of ever more money, that seems like one of the top stupidest things. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I had sent you the op-ed I wrote about that um, a few years ago, but they, the, during the Obama administration, they tried to do something about that. And so uh, I can't remember who the department was that, that did that stuff, but um, you know, somebody, they put out uh, limits on antibiotics being used in confinements, like you're, you're saying, this is really stupid. And uh, Tara Smith at Kent State and Jim Merchant, who did the 55% study of hog confinement kids, uh, are coming out with a new book uh, and with uh, on the Johns Hopkins Press. It isn't out yet, but it's all about that problem. 
So during the Obama administration, they, they tried to put limits on the use of antibiotics in confinements for exactly the reasons that you just brought up. So I went to a meeting one time that was being put on by a number of uh, hog confinement uh, places and also included Iowa State, one of the original land-grant colleges that's basically been being run by industrial agriculture now. Um, it's pretty much of a mess. Um, but anyway, they were putting this on and they were telling people, I, I thought I went into this meeting was going to learn how they were going to, you know, stop doing this. But what I what happened when I walked in, I walked into an us against them, and the person that was putting the program on was telling people how to get around the regulations. And afterwards, talking to a couple of veterinarians that were there, one of them was not happy at all because this was supposed to be protecting people and protecting the miracle drugs of antibiotics. And what it was, was we were just figuring out how to get around it. The, the, the regulations were loose enough and the people that were putting on the programs in Iowa so you could keep using them were smart enough in a technical way, not a wisdom way, as, as uh, Wendell Berry would say. Um, that that people would be very disappointed to know that the emphasis in Iowa was how to keep using all the antibiotics that we're already using. One of the excuses that was given during that presentation was that, well, these are these these uh, antibiotics are not ones that are really used or whatever. You know, they're not important antibiotics. But that didn't matter because. The antibiotic resistance is not from a particular type of antibiotics. It's from co-evolving -evol uh, um, antibiotics bugs that any antibiotic that's resistance can pass the resistance on to a different type of antibiotic or disease or, in this case, animals or their waste. So it's really weird. Yes, you're right. Um, you know, th this is one of the dumbest things in the world to be doing because you don't really have to if you raise animals on the land. So you have <laughs> you have attempted several times throughout this conversation to start talking about the crap that they spread all over the land. So I'm finally going to let you do that. Well, it's it's basically the, the problem with it is before, like I was saying. Um, for for ten thousand years, it was basically just waste. You know, it was it was it was waste, and it and it was manure because it broke down naturally. You you know, I I don't know if you had dogs, but I had dogs that used to chew on frozen horse turds in the winter time. Nothing ever happened to them. You know, um, so this was all completely natural stuff. I mean, I wouldn't go and 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 you know, when people say eat shit, I wouldn't actually go ahead and do it, but it's not going to really hurt you. What happens is when they're in a pit or a tank for six months and it's an anaerobic place, there's no light, there's no oxygen, there's no air, there's no mixing. It's just cooking up into these toxic uh, um, con constituent parts. 
And so when you put that stuff out on the land, it's already completely toxic. And in Iowa, we have over 2 million miles of field tile that that basically were originally to drain uh, much of Iowa. Iowa was quite the place, um, you know, a few hundred years ago. You could actually canoe over you know, 20 miles to the next town, but they came in, the wait, settlers wait. came there's, in. There's a fabulous book I want to mention for listeners, which is A Country So Full of Game, which is um, Iowa was one of the most biodiverse places on this continent. And it's yep. a it's a story. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a telling of how incredibly beautiful and fecund and full of life that Iowa was. I just wanted to, to get a plug in for that book. Yeah, no, that's, and it's, and it's, and it's not that long ago. I think it's like 1850 is when we started this farming stuff. And by 1950, we had lost um, at least 50% in a lot of places, a hundred percent of that black topsoil that had been built by the prairie and the potholes and the, you know, all of the natural stuff that was here that the Indians just used as a garden rather than uh, plowing it all up. So they plowed up Iowa and they put 2 million now. When I first started this, it was 880,000 miles of tile line and they're put down about four feet in the fields and they drain into um, the lakes and the streams and the rivers in Iowa. So all of this toxic waste that comes out of confinements, it's it's so bad that it the antibiotic resistant organisms kill the beneficial soil organisms. And after about five years, you have to add um, either confinement waste or synthetic fertilizer. Otherwise, you can't grow anything. This stuff just kills the soil that's left. I mean, there's only like half of it left and not even that much. My place um, it was a little bit hilly and it was corned for probably a hundred years. And um, probably 20 years ago, uh, I just stopped uh, allowing farmers to use it and I've been mowing it. And as the English say, you know, you just cut and then roll your your grass and you cut it and roll it and cut it and roll it. And in about 400 years, you'll have a real nice lawn. And that's about what it'll take to rebuild the soil. There's all kinds of uh, conversations about regenerative agriculture and cover crops and this and that and the other thing. Um, it'll take many, many decades, probably hundreds of years, if we have hundreds of years. Um, in order for the soil to um, build itself back. The Hawk Confinement book now is in its second edition, and I was never happy with the original epilogue. And this epilogue I put in is actually a Iowa Academy of, Iowa Academy of Sciences symposium that I put together for 2020. Uh, because of COVID, it never happened. But it was... Um, it was uh, put together with Matt Liebman, Iowa State University, who studied for many years the usual pre-1950 agriculture, Laura Jackson, 
who runs the Tallgrass Prairie, West Jackson's daughter at UNI, and Chris Jones. And it was a transition to a healthy agriculture now. And uh, it, I'll just read you the abstract. Historically, Iowa was a water-cleansing sponge and soil-building land. Because all agricultural crops and cropping systems discussed in this transition symposium exist today, the symposium would stipulate that the transition to a healthy agriculture has already been completed. The presenters will then be asked to tell how that transition was accomplished from their perspective and or what Iowa is like now that we have transitioned to a healthy and soil rejuvenating agriculture. It is important to let people know that this future can exist today, show them what it would be like, and let them know that we do not need to continue with this inherently polluting industrial model of agriculture to feed ourselves. And so that fits in with um, the waste being spread on the land as long as we're doing that and um, were doing all the synthetic fertilizer that we're doing. Iowa used to get away with this because they would just say, but we feed the world. Iowa imports over 90% of its own food, 60% of our corn crop. We have two crops basically in Iowa, soybeans and corn. 60% of the corn is used to make ethanol. We are the, as a state, we are the major contributor to the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. I have actually, when I wrote the letter about the Prop 12 thing, I, I, I said, you know, Iowa wants California to quit telling us how to raise our pigs so that they can eat what they want. I have always thought that the Louisiana National Guard would actually invade Iowa to stop the pollution that we put into the Mississippi and the Missouri River, which ends up in the dead zone and contributes to a lot of problems in the river all the way down to the dead zone. So putting this stuff on the soil, the soil has the tile lines. Where I live, where the, um, this is karst territory, where the actual, the last ice age didn't cover us. And so we are very hilly and we have limestone um, uh, bedrock. And so we have all kinds of caves and underwater rivers and sinkholes open up um, and so if you try and put this stuff, it's not only tile lines, but this stuff seeps down into the groundwater and at any point can run into a sinkhole, which runs into our aquifers. When it was probably 20 years ago or so, we were building a new lagoon at Garnavilla, which is probably 20, 30 miles from here. And we built a lagoon and then filled it up with water just to test it. The next morning came back and there was no water in the, in the lagoon. A sinkhole had opened up right in the middle of the new lagoon. So this is extremely porous. Um, that was part of our problem with Shalom Rabushkin and agri-processors out of Postville. He was knocking off the tops of hills and putting these giant confinements, chicken confinements there. And it was messing up the groundwater flow. Um, um, sinkholes that had been dormant started gushing. Uh, springs that had been pristine for probably hundreds of years, as long as we knew, turned black. 
And so this is a very, very sensitive area. And we're just dumping this stuff all over the state of Iowa. And the pe places around us are also doing that more now than they were. Iowa is still number one polluter to the dead zone. It, climate change is really screwing this up, which you you probably know about the Lake Erie blue algae that got into, I think it was Toledo's water system. They're now growing corn and beans in Canada way more than they used to. And so climate change isn't actually helping us. They think it's great for corn and bean farmers, but it's not helping the environment and it's not helping those of us who actually live here. Thank you for all that. That's really great. I mean, it's terrible, but your great analysis. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's, even if the, even if the poop weren't toxic, there's, there's an image that I used in one of my books that I kind of like, which is one apple may taste good and be good for you. And 10 apples at a time may make your stomach really hurt. And if they drop five tons of apples on your head, you're going to die. And so even if the poop weren't toxic, just putting that much manure onto one place is overwhelming. And it wouldn't even matter. I mean, they could put, they could put, you know, if you put a hundred tons of pomegranates or a hundred tons of, of T-bone steaks, or you know, it doesn't matter what it is onto a very small piece of land, it's going to overwhelm it. And yep. you know, a little bit of, a little bit of pee is really good for a lot of plants. But if you pee, if you get too much pee in one place, the, the, the plant's going to, going to die. And yep. so can you, I, I understand that, that this has been turned. And that's another thing that just gets me is, is, I mean, beings evolved as long as they've been eating, somebody has been turning that poop that, that that poop is food for somebody else that's been happening as long as life has been on this planet and yeah. that's how that's how the waste products work and that's how it works with with carbon dioxide you know we breathe out carbon dioxide and trees go thank you very much and then they breathe out oxygen and um but it's extraordinary to me two things one is that we have taken this wonderful gift to soil of poop which is just delightful for, for the, for the, it's, it's what makes soil. A, we've toxified it. And then B, putting that much on land. So I'm done speechifying now. So I don't know if you've actually said volume of poop. And if you have, I'm sorry, but could you say it again? Cause I don't remember. Um, like what, what's the volume of, of, of this hazardous waste material that is spread? in Iowa. Do you ask, do you understand my question? Yeah. And it's, it's like having over a hundred million people living here. That's right. You said in that. Iowa, we have 3 million people living here and it's like having a hundred million people live here. And it, you know, um, it's, it's, and, and we treat the waste from those 3 million people. I mean, that's what I did for a living. And, um, we don't treat this and, it's not, so it's toxic um, because they've just used one piece of equipment. Uh, they basically transferred um, wastewater technology to industrial agriculture, but they didn't transfer the treatment, the education, 
or the regulations or the health um, protections. Um, so they, they're, they're just using this in agriculture without anything. And it's like having 100 million people live here. So uh, it's, this, is, this gets into meat also. Um, you know, apparently, if, I, if the United States quit eating meat one day a week, you wouldn't have the, uh, near the problems that you're having with the Colorado River. Um, because the meat consumption it takes so much water. Uh, that's the other problem that we have here, these confinements and feedlots. And now, um, because of climate change, they're looking at putting in uh, irrigation. We're, we're quickly um, doing the same thing that you've done to the Central Valley out there, which is, you know, utilize all the aquifer water and you're subsiding land now, too. And we did that in Nebraska with center pivot irrigation. And now they're saying, well... Maybe we should start doing um, this in Iowa This because um, Iowa uh, turned out to have a pretty good drought this summer. Um, that was good for me because it takes me about uh, 13 hours to mow my grass, and I use a commercial walk-behind, so it's good edu good exercise for me. But I didn't because of the drought, I didn't cut my grass for two months here. Um, and so let's see. Okay, so the, the, the amount of waste. The UN has said, or I believe they've researched this, that we, we grow enough grain in the world now, today, that we could support twice the population if we didn't eat meat. And so just eating lower on the food chain, eating more grains and vegetables and fruits, would go a long way to solving a lot of the problems that we have. Um, you know, uh, people in the U.S., I mean, they're apparently this is a meat-eating place. Um, we don't eat so much meat anymore. We used to, I used to raise my own pigs. Um, it was long ago enough that uh, I was still drinking, um, and I would drink pig, drink beer with my pigs. Um, they were pretty good company, actually. Pigs are nice animals. They're very smart. Um, it's kind of fun. Um, at 40, I decided to uh, quit drinking, so I'm, I'm not drinking with pigs anymore. Um, so that's a little levity try um, that way. So you'll have to get me back to where we were again. So we just we only have a couple minutes left. And okay. um you uh how can people find out I, I think you've given a tremendous introduction to to CAFOs, confined animal what 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 is it what does it stand for? Uh let's see, confined animal feeding operation. Uh operation. Yeah. Yeah, the F was the one I forgot. Um and um you've gotten a great introduction to that. And is there are there any of the toxic effects that two questions are there any of the toxic effects that i've completely blown and and have not asked you a question on and the second one is how can people find out more about your response to it your work and your book okay so the book has 800 the the printed version of my our book um and and we wrote everything in the book even the legal document um 
just to make sure it was done correctly. You can find the book just by Googling Bob Watson, Decorah, Iowa, and it'll it'll probably come up. Um, the actual ebook, um, the printed version is 75 pages. The ebook, the online book, is thousands of pages because we include 867 peer-reviewed journal studies to justify our position. You can find that um, at, and I will tell you, it's Civilized and Inclusive is the name of the website. So it's www.civandinc.com. And you can just click on the uh, hog book on the title page and you'll be able to see, um, you'll be able to go to the book and it's all free. Um, we even give away the book. We had to, um, we didn't have to, but we did because it's, it's also an ask to elect people. We wrote legislative language, which would help solve the problem. Um, and it's, we asked for a free will donation if you want a printed version. We did that because we were able to give a copy of the book um, to all 150 state House and Senate members in Iowa. It was a resounding silence when we did that. We didn't hear back from anybody. Um, industrial agriculture has Democrats and Republicans pretty much captured in this state. Um, so you can find the book there. There's other op-eds that I've written on the title page um, that um, you can look at and it will explain a lot of different uh, kinds of things that uh, both agriculturally and morally, ethically, fairly and just wise, I will talk about also um, on that website. Well, thank you so much for all of this. And uh, thank you for being on the program. And I would like to thank listeners for listening. My guest today has been Bob Watson. This is Derek Jensen for Resistance Radio on the Progressive Radio Network.